One of the words that I love is the word notice. It's just one of my favorite words because I think it's often the first step on a lot of different paths. Just can you just pause long enough just to see what's going on? So you can assess if it's working for you. Is there something to let go? Is there something to embrace? And I think all of these questions, if you pause and notice, notice what's going on in your life in that area, you can make your way forward. Welcome to the Renovare podcast, a place for honest and unhurried conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and our guests today are the power couple from Unhurried Living, Jim and Alan Fadling. They've recently written a book together. It's titled, What Does Your Soul Love? Eight Questions That Reveal God's Work in You. I spoke with Jim and Alan from their home in California. Hey, tell us, um, how did this book come to be? I mean, the technical answer is, you know, IVP was approaching Alan again for his third book, and he didn't really have an idea on his own, but we had begun Unhurried Living, and we had an idea together because what we really like to talk about and experience with others is change and transformation. So we wanted to write a book about changing. So that's one level of an answer. Another level of an answer, I was in my 40s, and um, I was in a season where I felt like I was on a bit of a vista, kind of looking out at my life, looking back, and I asked God a question. I said, um, how did I get here? I liked who I was and where I was at the time in that moment. You know how that is, <laughs> the highs and lows of life. But I was curious, how did I get to be who I am at this point. And I, I under the undercurrent of that question really was, what were some of the big things that you showed me or taught me or spoke that really brought me to where I am? So I just sort of listened for an answer to that question for at least a year, and I would just journal. And when I was, I don't know if I was trying to write a blog post or come up with a talk, I sort of perused back and found these, I had seven, what I considered to be God- reaching in and giving me, well, this, what, remember when this happened, that really shifted for you. That made a shift for you. And here's another one. And this was really important and this formed you. So really this book, the chapters are really answers to prayer, <laughs> but I think because it's so personal and because it was from the Holy spirit, I think it's very universal. You know, Henry Nouwen says the most personal is the most universal. So when we labeled all of these, you know, desire, and vulnerability, and pain, and fear, and control. These are not things that are unknown to most people. Am I getting it correctly that this, these are questions that really help us clear the way to get to what is your soul love, right? To live into that. Alan, where'd you step in in terms of Jim's prayerful process through the years? You know, we've been on a journey together for decades, and so her questions rang true for me, too, obviously. And um, so I think— Oh, you were there. I, you remember. I, I kind of was, <laughs> yeah. We've kind of been on this journey for a while. And um, so I think for me, uh, as I uh, lived with those questions that God had given Jim, 
I think I was drawn to, so I, I love working in scripture. I love the intersection of what the scriptures say and what's happening in our lives. And so I sort of had this really fruitful, imaginative engagement with those questions and thought of passages that had been really meaningful to me. And then suddenly I realized the reason a particular passage had meant so much was because it was sort of intersecting with one of these questions God had given Jim. So in many ways, I think that ended up being sort of my contribution you know, to the book. We both contributed to all 10 chapters. You know, it wasn't like, well, this one, that's yours, Jim. This one, that's mine. We sort of wove our voices throughout the book. I've heard it's quite a feat when a couple writes a book together. My, my favorite story was an editor once told me that uh, a couple wrote a book and, and got divorced as a result of yeah, the heard. time they got <laughs> Yeah. Well, we won't lie. Our editor did ask us, are you sure? Are you, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> get the counselor now. Come on, guys. You get, she you was, know. yeah, she was concerned that we might end up in therapy. And our comment was, well, we've been in therapy long enough. We kind of feel like we'll be able to navigate some of the, you know, conflict or bumpy path that we might uh, encounter. And, and we did, you know, we both think so differently. Um, I'm a major introvert. Jim is a is a, a a strong extrovert, and and there's just a lot of different ways that we process things. So it took us a while to figure out how to write a book together, and we did actually, and that was really a fun part of our relationship as well as the project. So help me with the idea of this is beyond kind of baptizing self help, right? That's yes. Help me with that. You know, self help is kind of focused on what self-improvement it's, you know, it's be living my best life. It's very me focused by definition. That's the self hyphenated part of that. What we're really envisioning is what does it look like to live a, a life in God's presence? And what are, what are some of the things that get in our way? Um, and what are some of the dynamics that foster transformation? So chapters on desire or, chapter on joy you know like these are these are the um the dynamics that energize us or encourage us but then there's also dynamics that get in our way so really we're trying well, i mean the biblical language is be transformed that language implies somebody else is doing it and so we hope that what this is is very a very god focused book as it relates to how we cooperate with the transforming work he's doing yeah, I think one of the words that I love um, is the word notice. It's just one of my favorite words because I think it's often the first step on a lot of different paths. Just can you just pause long enough just to see what's going on? So you can assess if it's working for you. Is there something to let go? Is there something to embrace? And I think all of these questions, if you pause and notice, notice what's going on in your life in that area you can make your way forward. You know, in, in each chapter at the very beginning, there are these little, like an epigraph, but they're called process words. <laughs> and they're just words like the word notice, you know, let go, slow, um, unfolding, seasons. And um, I'm a big fan of words that keep you moving graciously. Mm, that's a good phrase, moving graciously. Yeah, because I, I think... You know, we like to make progress, most of us. We want to do 
be effective, whatever that means, um, in a healthily productive, you know, um, bearing fruit, whatever phrase you want to use. Um, but as Alan said, we often, I know I am, I am my own brake pedal. <laughs> I do a <laughs> lot of things that keep that from happening. So I'm, I'm always looking for words or questions or something that can keep me moving along the path that I am on. I sometimes find that I have this um, lurking uh, push that if it feels good or if it's something I enjoy, then it can't be spiritual, right? So even for some people, I think even going to what is your soul love? Well, that it must involve some sort of pain or suffering <laughs> if, if God's involved. That's not what you're going for here. No. I mean, I love, I just think there's some biblical language that helps us. I think of David, you know, and he says, it's, there's one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I could dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. I, I just hear such passion, such desire in that kind of prayer. There's a there's a the simplicity, a centering to that kind of language. Or or Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Again, there's such desire in that. So I think part of the challenge is, you know, is learning how to discern the desires, the movements within ourselves. You know, for me, there are, and for all of us, I think there are some desires that are just sort of shallow, feel like it's, I don't feel like that, or I do feel like that. And those are shaped by all kinds of dynamics but might not be shaped by the spirit uh, who is recreating us. So I, I always think the the language of desire and discerning desire, desire is God-given energy. It's God-given movement. How can I discern and live from place of desire in the presence of, of God? Like a, a rightly ordered desire. Yeah. It's yes. Kind of authentic, true desire. Yeah. Jim, what is your soul love? Well, again, there's so many answers to that. But I've been thinking about the transcendentals lately, actually, in this regard. Um, goodness, beauty, and truth. And for sure, my soul loves all of those things. I mean, it's just unmistakable. I was talking to someone yesterday and I said, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if we tried more often to put ourselves in the place where we could experience those three Maybe not all at once, but, you know, experience just rich truth and um, enjoy incredible beauty and witness or be a part of just true goodness between people. I mean, these are the life-giving things. So I've just been living inside of that lately, the transcendentals. How can I, not that you manage or control that at all, but could I place myself in situations where that might become you know, what's happening. It interests me the few years back, this kind of resurgence of interest in Mr. Rogers and, <laughs> and, you know, watching the films and such. And, and um, actually I met a guy who, who knew him and just realized why, why are we attracted to, you know, this guy? And, and I think it's that goodness, truth, and beauty. He embodied that. And it's, alluring that's oh, totally. to that. 
I remember Especially. after seeing um, the movie, it might have been the Tom Hanks movie. I saw mm-hmm. both of them because they did sort of the documentary and then they did the Tom Hanks. But the the phrase that came to my mind after seeing that about Mr. Rogers was that he was tenaciously good. There you go. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, what a what an interesting thing to be about to to focus on trying. I don't know, just the goodness. Yeah, oh, tenacious really goodness shared. is a great phrase. Yeah, it was a, a reckless yeah. is one that comes to mind with the, and I think I'd be curious to learn more about him, but born out of suffering. I think his time as a child being sick in bed, being mm. alone, yeah. um, birthed some of that. Alan, how about you? What is your soul love beyond the transcendentals? Yeah. Oh, gosh. He took my answer. That's not fair. <laughs> I know. That's. Uh, I think the way I would say it is I'm discovering that my soul loves when I live whatever I'm living in the presence of God. That sounds a little Sunday school, but I'm learning that, you know, I I love reading. I'm an introvert and I'm in a a room full of books right now and I love reading, but I love reading with God even more. Um, during COVID, we've set up all these bird feeders in the backyard. I'm trying to take Jesus seriously. You know, look at the birds. <clears throat> and so I'm doing it. But I realize I like looking at the birds with God even more. Uh, I love the sense that, oh, this beautiful little guy or this this bright yellow uh, Oriole that's coming to to feed again. That was your idea. This little one was your idea. I just find that I love... Noticing my life and experiencing whatever crosses my path, you know, with God. And that's, I maybe gets at the heart of what I'm discovering my soul really loves. And Jim, how do these play out practically for you in terms of living into goodness, truth, and beauty, experiencing things with God like Alan? Yeah. So for me, it's been a journey of learning presence. It's been, um, that's been a focus word for me now for many years, maybe almost 10 years, presence. And I think um, all of these good things that we're listing, if we are in the moment, we can appreciate them more so than if we're not. I mean, duh, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so for me, uh, learning learning presence has helped tremendously. Is Can I focus my attention on what is happening right now? I mean, it's the classic Jean-Pierre de Cassade. You know, the grace that you need is only right now. And I've spent much of my life trying to borrow some version of warrior fear from the future, or living in the past or the future, and um, practicing letting go of that dynamic and only being right here. I think it opens us up more to the actual living of the thing that we want. It is no coincidence to me that you two wrote this book in terms of your um, unhurried living, your ministry. Mm. Uh, a friend of mine, James Catford, he has this line of, if the evil one cannot get you to do bad things, we'll focus on getting you to do lots of good things, too many, you know, good things. And yeah. just personally, there have been a number of times in my life where I've gone, okay, I've taken, these good things are no longer good things because I'm doing too many of them. And <laughs> it, it just, you know, it thought things that I love or really enjoy wanted to do, and it's just too many. So to me, it's no coincidence that this is birthed out of an unhurried life. Presence works better at that pace. It's awfully hard to be present at freeway speed, you know. 
um, when your soul is kind of the hamster wheel. But when you slow down inside, um, maybe to the pace of peace, to the pace of love, uh, to the pace of grace, you know, the pace of the kingdom, um, these questions become wonderful guides to making our way forward on the journey God has us on. This book's been out for a little while. I'm curious what kind of stories you've heard from people who've walked through this, took the question seriously, and moved into something new that their soul Mm -hmm. loves. Yeah, we have um, one of our good friends, actually. She just made me laugh because you know she got the book, and she was just trying to read through it because that's what you do with books. You read books, right? But she just would get you like conquer it's them. It's as the a book as a good contest. Clonist. It's the book race. How many of these can How I? How many can I get through? Knock off this year. That's right. right. Well, right. and miss it, them all. <laughs> so, because we were laughing because every chapter starts with a question, and then we have questions at the end of every chapter that you could journal. She's like, Jim, I cannot just read your book because these questions are so hard. And she meant that in a good way because what she meant was. They make me stop. I actually, I have to think and process these. They take, they took her deeply within, which is exactly what we wanted. You know, cause you're talking about change and transformation. Um, you gotta go, you can't, it's not all surface conversation. You gotta go somewhere inside. So she laughed about how she was going to try to read the book. We've heard this more than once, read the book and then go back and try to do the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, take the time to journal slowly. But a lot of people do want to get through it to get the overview, but then they go back and they sink in. And I think another uh, observation I've made in terms of readers is that a number of them have shared that one of those questions helped them get unstuck uh, somewhere in their life. And that's been our experience too. When I look at the eight questions, often when I've been on something of a plateau or a backwater, Somehow I'm not really on the path in the way I want to be. Often it's one of these questions, one of these dynamics that has been the reason I'm stuck. And so revisiting these uh, for readers, I think, has been a great way to to get unstuck. They're really questions of examine. They really are. They are. Mm -hmm. I think any spiritual director or pastor or coach or mentor, you could, if you're talking with someone, you could pull out any one of these questions at any point and have a really beautiful conversation. Oh yeah. I could see it. You get the right one at the right moment. And yeah. There's an hour later. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. One of the things I'm picking up from these questions, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm tying it into your guys' uh, ministry. They force me to look at myself, the pain points, things I'm hiding from, the distractions. I find personally, when I'm living unhurried, right, there come the voices, there come the things. And these questions, like, force you to live in reality of what actually is getting in the way of you living the life that God has for you, right? What do you say to people? I mean, this you're, you're asking people to go somewhere painful or difficult, in a sense. Yeah. Give some counsel. The first thing that comes to mind as you ask that question is, you know, I, I meet with individuals. I meet with women. I also meet in coaching groups. Um, but one of the things women talk about very often is sort of the safe, sacred hospitality that I provide. And so if, if someone's listening and they, they are afraid to go there, it, it can be hard to take any one of these questions and go there on your own. It's not impossible, 
um, go there on your own as deeply as you can until you hit a spot and you realize, oh man, there's really something here. But I encourage people to walk this out in safe community, whether it's a spiritual friend or a spiritual director, again, or a pastor, somebody. Small group. A small group that's willing to go there. Now that's a unique find to find a group of people willing to be very vulnerable and then to be able to provide the safety needed to hold this. Cause these aren't, like you said, these are important questions. And so a lot can rise up from within you. So um, yeah, I guess I would say, don't be afraid to go there, but also know when you need some companionship as you do the digging. And I think, it also makes me think that uh, what, what, what I hope we're doing is giving them a vision for how change, the kind of change God's inviting us to moves in the direction of life. And when I'm stuck, I, I'm not moving in that direction. I'm stuck in places that are less than life-giving. And so, you know, one of the things we share, and it's nothing new about this, you know, often it takes the pain of, you know, staying how I am growing greater than the pain of changing for me to finally change the, that whole dynamic of we stick in our orientation. We, we resist disorientation until the place where we are, the place where we're <laughs> stuck just becomes so uncomfortable <laughs> that we'd, we'll, in, we'll endure the, the, the pain of change just to get out of the pain of where we find ourselves. <laughs> right, you know? right. So I guess, again, it, to me, it's the vision of, I've found that leaning into my fears or becoming a bit more vulnerable has been a doorway to life. And I, and I nearly always wish I'd stepped through that doorway sooner than I finally decided to. There's a certain strength and courage it takes to look at one's self. I think I used so. to work For with sure. a guy used to work with a guy in a therapeutic context would say, nobody quits anything until they're sick and tired. And then he follows it up. And sometimes sick and tired means death. Hmm. Right. But there yeah. is a sense of, uh, is there enough pain points of, or enough of a draw to a, a, a different way to do life to go down that road? Any cool stories you heard of people that the end result from the book, this led them to blank? I don't know if this is a specific question. This is more of like a general observation. One of the one of the things that Jim and I both enjoyed doing here recently is taking a group, a coaching group through this book for the first time. At least for me, it was the very first time in these last few months. And um, I think the thing that I found myself deeply grateful for was to a person, they now had a vision for change as something God was inviting them to at a new level. It's remarkable, it's remarkable to, me, to me that many of those who describe themselves as followers of Christ don't have a formational view of their faith. You know, Renovare, right? I mean, it's implicit within that very word that change is part of this beautiful invitation into which we're invited. So I think that was just my perception. It was the seeing these, you know, pastors in large church settings or these counselors or these uh, volunteer leaders or whoever happened to make up that group. They had a new hopefulness for this journey of change as something good and something possible and something hopeful. 
I just really enjoyed that. I was very grateful for them. Yeah. I, I noticed that too, actually, because we both just did. Um, I just had a group like that as well. And when we go through that group, we don't have time for all 10 chapters because it's only a six sessions, but we focused on desire and resistance and control and joy. And even if you just took those four, you can do a lot. But as I recall, just the befores and afters of those women, it was very personal because the Holy Spirit met them right where they were and the work that they did as they dug into the questions. Um, you, the trajectory of what happened to them suited who they were. And the women in the group affirmed that on the last session. There was so much joy. You know, one woman thought she was coming in with gangbusters. And, I, and this is, and I'm going to do this and this and this. But in the midst, she actually found out that it was a time for more of, a, of an internal pulling in. And there was another woman who was more inward. And over the course of time, she gained steam and she had nothing but this explosive freedom at the end. So even just taking the time to ponder even four of these questions, and I had them as a part of the group, I actually had them not only work on the questions that were at the end of the book, but I had them journal the actual question. So we started right up front. What do you really want? And I said, make a list, make it as long as you can see what emerges. And even just that discipline of, of allowing yourself to see and state what you want can unlock so much. It's very, it's kind of very organic and alive. I can see this book being a catalyst for significant change for people, switching jobs, leaving unhealthy relationships, yep. discovering new hobbies or gifts. And um, yeah. Hey, tell us a little about uh, your work with Unhurried Living. Yeah, so now I guess we're in our seventh year. Is that right? And it's just our joy. Basically, the way I describe it to people is it is a container for Alan and I just to share all of who we are and all of what we know with um, anyone who wants to know what that is. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, it's, it's Christian leaders. Um, but we're really trying to train and resource and coach and encourage those who really want to grow and transform and live and lead from the inside out. So we do that in many and various ways. We've already listed some, you know, we meet with individuals, we meet with groups, we speak, we lead retreats. Um, one of the newer things that's coming up actually in September is I'm refreshing my membership. It's called replenish. It's for women. And it's going to be a very robust online coaching and community for women. So um, you can learn more about that. If you connect with us at Unhurried Living, we'll be announcing it more and more as it comes. But that's a very, I'm excited about that because, you know, we're very small. It's Alan and I, and we have an assistant. <laughs> um, but our hearts are like you guys, you know, we, we long to help people. And so I'm hoping that this is going to be a way of reaching to more uh, women who want to connect and grow and change together. And I think, you know, when we first began, God sort of gave us a little six-word phrase to describe the essence of our work. You know, rest deeper, live fuller, lead better. And, you know, it just, it's that conviction of the importance of those phrases has only deepened over time. You know, we are in such a restless time. 
uh, so few understand the gift that shalom, you know, really is the, the deep well-being of being at rest in soul in the presence of God. It's such a need, maybe one of the greatest needs for leaders, uh, who are leading their communities to learn how to live in the deep rest of God, the deep peace of God and, and then live fuller to, to live in abundance, not abundance that's self-serving, self-helping, but abundance for the sake of others. What would it look like to live a life rich with love and joy and peace and gentleness and the others? And then, you know, take the first step, as you said earlier, as a leader within a community. And then the fruit of that is lead better. We just, we serve the communities that God's planted in us better when we're in those restful, abundant places. I have a loose theory that we end up teaching what we need to learn. Um, it's often you, true. You, you guys fall into being hurried. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we, and we, Alan always famously talks about anxiety, and I'm sure you're going to talk about that. But both of us struggle with anxiety, mm-hmm. and we have over the course of our entire lives. Yes. Now we're not the same now as we were when we were 35, but it's still a dynamic. And I think we would both say that that has that's a big part of hurry for us, which is why I said earlier that one of the places God has had me in for now a decade is presence. Because I also have a tend to be very scattered, very visionary, very lots of thinking, lots, you know, um, but to learn to bring it all in. So yeah, I am positive. We are giving the message that we need for sure. Well, in the first line of an unhurried life is I'm a recovering speed addict. So there you go. I'm I and I'm still in recovery. I I think that's the right language for my not the drug. <laughs> yeah, not the drug, yeah. but the inner pace. Um and like Jim said, you know, there are a lot of inner soul hurry dynamics that I wrestle with. Uh, anxiety is a huge one. Um a longing for recognition has been another big one that becomes this huge inner accelerator uh for me. And so, yeah, there's no question. I I am, I'm not writing what I write or teaching what I teach from some plateau of restful bliss. I'm, I'm talking from the ongoing journey of recovery. I will note, and I don't know if I'm getting this correctly, but at some point, some months ago, you guys took a sabbatical. Is that accurate? Yeah. Last July, we, we decided we're doing it this July. We're going to one month every year. We're trying, we're aiming for Mother Teresa's. Her rhythm of life was a day a week, a week a month, a month a year. Of rest. Of rest. Yeah, say that again. A day it a was week. A day a week, a week a month, and a month a year. And then they also had a year in seven or a year in six, I think. Well, so wait, we decided, she was so productive. I yeah, know. On, how could she possibly have gotten anything done doing that? A week a month? Come on now. So <laughs> our, our version of that actually is that we decided to not have appointments on one week a month. And that week we focus on content creation. So it's not a real, it's not a Sabbath week, but it is a uh, more of a creative mm-hmm. sinking kind of center in down shift. Week in it's a way. center down week. And then we, this is, we're coming up on our second annual mm-hmm. July sabbatical. Okay. Here, my memory is I got an email response that was like, we are gone for a month. Like it, 
like straight up, you guys really did it. Because I, I think people will take breaks, but they don't really. Yeah. You know, you're still cut. Am I right? You we, oh, yeah. Just, we didn't do email or social media for yeah, 30 we, days. We, yeah. um, I mean, it. it's a lot of work to do a sabbatical, to <laughs> do have, it right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think that's actually yeah, good to it. know because yeah. um, we have to get ahead on certain things. We have cyclical commitments of podcasts and emails and other things that we want to continue. So we have to get ahead on all that stuff so we can stop. But we actually wrote up a page for ourselves of what our sabbatical would be, what, what the yeses were going to be, what the noes were going to be. And I didn't look at email for a month. I didn't look at my messages for a month. And there were there were outgoing messages just said, if you're reaching me, thanks for reaching out. But please try again at the beginning of August. I won't I won't see this message. I think that's what I got. Yeah. And I loved you for it. Like you just like went up a couple notches. And, yeah. <laughs> well, and we're blessed to have an assistant. So we can say on there, if you have a true emergency or a question, yeah. please contact her. So that's a blessing. Um, but we do, our intention was, because I think at some point you have to believe that you're not the center of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> no, the world will fall apart. But I want to be I'm indispensable. Gone. It is, it actually is a beautiful feeling to know that, um, That's right. that you don't have to like be this cog in a thing all the pushing yeah. all the time, making something. I think. I think it's my dad in Celebration Discipline says our greatest fear of solitude is that the world will go on without us. That yeah. we're not really that important. To, I know. Yeah. You know. Well, and that, to me, it's significant to think about time off from work or in rest, intentionality with that does not mean that I still, you know, I work a bunch ahead of time. I work a bunch after so I'm still doing the same amount. It just means I'm, you know, I mean, there is some level of that and the intentionality of it takes months to get prepared to take, I would assume a month off, but it, it doesn't mean you're still doing everything just on, you know, bookending it, which is, which is hard. Yeah. It's just the wisdom of dormancy. Of course, you know, we don't have a nine to five job, so we understand that we have a certain amount of entrepreneurial flexibility. So that's something we chose. Um, but I just think it's it's good to uh, we just decided how we wanted to arrange a year's worth of work. And this was one of the things we've learned. And this really emerged in the midst of covid because it's been one of the most exhausting, draining seasons of life, I think, that we've ever encountered. So we needed to rest deeper than we ever had before. It's a great line. The wisdom of dormancy. All of nature does it. Right. But no, not us. Not, no, not no. People. We can we can fight that one. Oh. Sleep, more work. <laughs> you know how many times I've said to people, you are not a machine. <laughs> you are more like a tree or a flower. And so I love talking about that seasonal seasonality. So I know that some people have been talking about wintering lately. Oh, sure. Wintering. I think that's a dormancy, which is a beautiful, yeah. a beautiful gift. You see, you guys in California, you miss out on something really significant. Yeah. When I lived in Michigan, I thought, oh my, this is so good for my soul to have these long seasons of, you know, summer, I want to get out and do everything. But in the winter to go, no, no, let's just go read a book. Take it easy. I think it's significant that the two of you do it together. Right. So that there's a kind of accountability or a, 
encouraging have made this commitment and follow through. Yeah, it's nice. Thank you guys for talking. Thank you for your vulnerability and all the work you're doing. Thank I'm, you I'm for having fan. us. Pleasure. We love being with you, Nathan. <laughs> and that was Jim and Alan Fadling talking about their book, What Does Your Soul Love? Eight Questions That Reveal God's Work in You. Alan has also written two helpful books titled An Unhurried Life and An Unhurried Leader. Jim has a new book coming out in the fall titled Hold That Thought, Sorting Through the Voices in Our Heads. You can learn more about Jim and Alan, their writings and ministry at unhurriedliving.com. That's unhurriedliving.com. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. Grateful for all of you who helped make this work possible. You can support Renovare and this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort, offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find a collection of thoughtfully curated articles, podcast webinars, online classes, as well as information on events and our institute on our website at renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. And until next time, be well, friends. Be well.